Welcome to week two of Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. How y'all doing? Great, it's great to have you here, and I'm so glad you're with us today, especially if you're joining us online. It's great to have you as well. Uh, we are talking about how we write the story of our life one decision at a time, right? And we're using the framework of these three things right here. We're talking about asking hard questions, answering those questions honestly, and then acting based on the answers that we get. And the first question we asked last week was on the door right over here. Am I being honest with myself really? Once you've asked that question, am I being honest with myself really, then you can arrive over to this door. Do, 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 do. The wheels are stuck. Okay, then you can arrive over to this door. Once you start to become honest with yourself, you can start to ask this question, what story do I want to tell? And that's what we're going to start today, right? What story do you want to tell? We're calling this, or, or this referred to as the legacy question. What type of legacy do you want to leave? And I want to invite you into a journey over the next about 25 minutes through a historical lens because ultimately I think most of our society has kind of left the idea of legacy or the concept of legacy altogether. We kind of sideswipe it, right? It's not like the water cooler question. You get up to the water cooler at work, you're like, so what kind of legacy are you trying to leave, you know? You know, you know, you know. Nobody, okay. <laughs> you know, nobody's like, what story are you trying to tell with the fabric of your life, you know, with the tapestry of your life today? Like, that's not a typical question that we ask. It's not a typical question that we ask someone else. It's not a typical question that we actually reflect on. And this question is actually quite a bit of work. In fact, I'm really inviting you into not just a process where you, where you ask this question and, and come away with a bunch of answers at the end of the day, but I'm actually inviting you into a process and into a journey of understanding the importance of the question and then taking the time over the next couple of weeks to start to dissect it. In fact, if we talk about the historical lens, just about every historical hero we know of, if they chose to live based on the perspective of everybody else, right? What legacy am I leaving? Um, and it's the importance of this word right here, why or I. What story do I want to tell? Not what story will they tell. This is a, a, a major difference. What story will they tell? What story are they telling and what story am I telling is wildly different. It could be polar opposite. Um, in fact, if George Washington was concerned, one of our historical heroes, right? Let's talk about some of our historical heroes. If George Washington was concerned about the story everybody else wanted to tell for his life, well, his advocates wanted to make him king or at least run for term after term after term. His opponents wanted him dead. He fought in the, he was a general in the Revolutionary War. King George would have loved to hear the news, George Washington's dead. So you have advocates going, here's the story I want to tell for your life. Make you king or never stop running, never stop being president, which would have changed the fabric of our nation, right? And then you have his opponents going, please be dead. If you live based off of the external voices, your legacy and the story you tell will be wildly incalculable. Actually, you'll never be able to find firm ground. You'll never be able to find foundation. And it's in just about every single hero that we can look at. And here's the other thing about external voices and external voices writing in the legacy. They don't deal with nuance. Instead, they deal with firm labels. They always are going to try to label. Let me, let me, let me spell out for us. They want to tell us from a historical perspective or in your day-to-day, -day, you ever walk around? What do you say about this? Oh, who's that person? Oh, they're good people. Good people, good people. Who's that person? Oh, they're bad. Where's the nuance? 
Where's the complexity? Where's the thought process of, oh, they may have done a couple bad things here or they did a couple good things here? No, 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 no. Legacy's perspective from outside of your own internal unit never really matches up with maybe the story you're actually writing. And oftentimes in a historical perspective, it's just you are good, you are bad. You are a hero, you are villain. It's how legacy is so often written and yet it's not necessarily how life works. Our life story is not written in absolute form or labels, but instead in nuance and complexity. George Washington displayed in the musical Hamilton, for those of you who have seen it, I think sums up the complexity of legacy so well in a song that displays the ideas that although history does have its eyes on each of us and there is a legacy to be told, However, there is a great inner working and struggle when we realize what very little control we have in who lives, who dies, and who tells our story. Check this song out. I was younger than you are now when I was given my first command. I led my men straight into a massacre, witnessed their deaths firsthand. Made every mistake, let shame rise in me. Even now I lie awake, knowing history has its eyes on me. History has its eyes on me. Let me tell you what I wished I'd known When I was young and dreamed of glory You never know who lives, who dies, who tells your story Even you can win I know that greatness lies in you But remember from here on in That history has its eyes on History has its eyes on you. I love the line, right? We have no control who lives, who dies, who tells our story, but history does have its eyes on each of us whether a history book will say it or whether there'll be another life in another generation that will point back to us and go, that life made certain decisions that trickled down that allowed me or caused me to be in this position, in this place. And history may tell a very different story than today's perspective, and today's perspective may tell a very different story than history's perspective. So for instance, look at, for instance, we could look at MLK Jr. And according to an early 1968 Harris poll, the man whose half century of martyrdom we celebrate each and every year died with a public disapproval rating of nearly 75% in the year that he died. 75% disapproval rating. In other words, he was 
hated by many people, was disapproved of by 75% of our nation. And ultimately, we know the story. He was murdered in spite of walking and fighting in the right direction. See, history's perspective ultimately shifted from that day's current perspective. But if MLK Jr. had been, had been uh, allowed himself to be sidetracked by the day's perspective, we may not have ever gotten to know the man that fought for justice and freedom. Or think about Mother Teresa. In fact, uh, she died of old age, but in her life, she started 517 mission centers in over 100 countries, mostly celebrated throughout her life. But just a couple years ago, uh, an an editor in the New York Times reviewed the British documentary Hell's Angel. Now, that was a film. Hell's Angel is a film that highlighted some of Mother Teresa's flaws. And the paper concluded that she was, quote, less interested in helping the poor than in using them as an indefatigable source of wretchedness on which to fuel the expansion of her fundamentalist Roman Catholic beliefs. 517 mission centers over 100 countries serving the poorest of the poor and some cozy editor in New York decides, I got something for you. Again, we have no control, though, who lives, who dies, who tells her story. And if Mother Teresa was so consumed with what they might say about her intentions, then maybe she doesn't start a couple hundred of those mission centers. Maybe she never gets it off the ground because the external voices start looming so loudly and the doubts and the way it might be written. And she gets so consumed by all of that that she just stops dead in her tracks. And therefore, we never have 517 mission centers. Or how about Abraham Lincoln? In 1861, this was written of him in a local newspaper. It says this, the illustrious, honest old Abe has continued during the last week to make a fool of himself and to mortify and shame the intelligent people of this great nation. His speeches have demonstrated the fact that although originally a Herculean rail splitter and more lately a whimsical storyteller and side splitter, splitter, he is no more capable of becoming a statesman, nay, even a moderate one, than the brain donkey can become a noble lion. People now marvel how it came to pass that Mr. Lincoln should have been selected as the representative man of any party. His weak, wishy-washy, namby-pamby efforts, imbecile in matter, disgusting in matter, have made us the laughingstock of the whole world. The European powers will despise us because we have no better material out of which to make a president. The truth is, Lincoln is only a moderate lawyer and in the larger cities of the Union could pass for no more than a facetious pedophoger. Take him from his vacation and he loses even these small characteristics and indulges in simple twaddle which would disgrace a well-bred schoolboy. Now you might think, well, those are probably the words from someone in the deep south who hated the north. No. These words were written as Abraham Lincoln approached Washington by train for his 1861 presidential inauguration. The tirade was not the rant of a fire-eating secessionist editor in Richmond or New Orleans. No, instead, it was the declaration of the Salem Advocate, which was a newspaper printed in Lincoln's hometown of central Illinois. His approval rating was never good in the years that he was actually president of the United States. And as we all know, Lincoln was ultimately assassinated, killed for what he was working toward. Again, if he had listened to the day's perspective, we, they didn't, he didn't have the ability to go see how history was going to see him. 
on what story we were going to say. He only knew firmly what story do I want to tell and what story does God have me telling and he only stepped solidly in that story and kept moving forward regardless of the external voices, regardless of the external story being told because again, external legacy will never deal with nuance and complexity. It just wants to label instead. It wants to hear mother. It wants to hear evil. It wants to hear racist. It wants to hear godlike, beautiful, ugly. There is no nuance to the tapestry of your life within an external perspective of your legacy. You cannot write the external legacy of your life. You can only write the internal one. It's between you and God. And I love the Bible, because in fact, Paul actually dealt with this external legacy and these external voices. The apostle Paul uh, gets into this moment where he's in a shipwreck, and it's kind of a, a popular story, right? But in the midst of this shipwreck, he's, he's coming to this place, and at the beginning of the story, he's, he's a prisoner. He's just a prisoner on a ship. In fact, the centurion only saves the rest of the prisoner because he liked Paul and he thought Paul was wise enough and Paul was actually kind of being prophetic with a couple things. So he's like, he's kind of hitting the nail on the head here. I need to kind of keep this guy alive. If I keep him around me, I think I'm gonna be doing okay throughout this life. So let's keep the prisoners alive. So Paul is listed as a prisoner. Now the ship uh, goes down, it's wrecked, it runs aground. They all get off, they all survive. They end up on this island. It's called Malta. It sounds like a pretty good, good time to me. Uh, but it does, it's not depicted like that, right? It says they actually needed to start making fire because it was rainy and cold. It's like a bad Disney movie gone bad, right? Like this is just worse. Not only did we get shipwrecked, it's raining, it's cold. And Paul decides, oh, I'm gonna start, they, they, they have the prisoners start making a fire. So as he starts making the fire, he's putting wood into the fire pit. And as he starts doing that, it says a poisonous stake jumps out of the fire and it latches onto his hand. Once that happens, he shakes it off. The, the snake falls back into the fire, but everybody around the fire is like, and they're looking at him and you know what they say? You must be a murderer, which in their cultures, like what they're saying is you must be the worst of the worst. And they tell him why, because even though you're a prisoner and you somehow survived the shipwreck, which I don't even know how you're a prisoner, you survived the shipwreck and you didn't get away. So you're not even good at this thing. You could have escaped. Instead, you came back into Roman control, idiot. But instead of that, you survived the shipwreck, you get on land and the goddess justice won't let you go so that he, she, they have a snake come out and bite you. You must be the worst of the worst. You must be a murderer. But then what happens next? He doesn't die. He's like, what's up, homies? He's just chilling. They're like, there's no ill effects. Literally, there's no ill effects. Like, there's no ill effects? Nothing. I'm just eating, drinking like normal. What's up, guy? I want to play some cards later. They're like, what's going on? So then they're like, you didn't die from a poisonous snake? You didn't die from a shipwreck? You must be a god. And they throw God on him. And then by the end of the chapter, they go from from prisoner to murderer to God. And by the end, Paul starts healing everybody up on the island. And they're like, you're not a God, you're a healer. It's incredible. So we have this through the story. Paul is a prisoner, then he's a murderer, then he's a God, then he's a healer. Could you imagine if Paul allowed the external voices to dictate what he was gonna do and how he was gonna live? 
So many of us has have, have had labels placed on us by external individuals, people that do not know the internal tapestry or workings or details of your life. They have no idea, for some of you, the valleys you have climbed to get to the plateau that you are on. And you have done work, and you have done work, and you have done work, but to them, because they started on the plateau and they're on a little molehill, they'll feel better than you, and so they're like, you're, you're low, you're just a prisoner, or you're the lowest of the low, you look like a murderer to me, and if you live your life like that, you never get anywhere. You never get anywhere. And some of us have allowed labels to be spoken over us by external voices that have affected the story that God has for you to tell. And then some of you have been told that you're a God a little too much in this life, (laughs) that you're a healer, and that's affected you too. Because you had missions that you were supposed to hit. You had a mission you were supposed to do. You had some, maybe some hardships or some persecution or some stuff you were supposed to walk through. But because people labeled you as God and labeled you as healer, you were like, oh, I ain't Paul anymore. I'm not that. No, 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 God. You don't know what you're doing anymore. I'm this. And you walk around like it, and that causes its own destruction. Either way, if you get off because external voices start saying, whether good or bad, hero or villain, you'll lose sight that you're not prisoner, you're not murderer, you're not God, you're not healer, you're just Paul. You have a story to tell, and God has a mission for you. And Paul never got off mission. And I'll tell you why. Because Paul was allowing God's plan to dictate his story. In fact, before the shipwreck in Acts chapter 27, he said it this way. This is awesome. He stands on a boat right before the shipwreck, and he goes, last night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. See, Paul was able to stay resolute. He was able to stay steadfast because he, got, he had a God in whom he believed. He had a whom he believed in and a story that was already written for him. So he had no other option. He knew he wasn't a God. He knew he wasn't healer. He knew he wasn't prisoner. He knew he wasn't murderer. He knew There's a mission here. God's written a story for me. I'm not going to get sidetracked by God's stuff. I'm not getting sidetracked by prisoner stuff. I'm not going to the depths of murder, and I'm not going to the heights of healer. I'm staying on point as Paul, and I'm headed that direction. God's taking me that direction. It's been written down, and I'm here to build it, share it, revise it. Let's go. If you're hoping for others to write your legacy in a specific way, I need you to know tonight you are on a fool's errand. History has its eyes on you, but society will or won't be fair today, and they won't necessarily be fair after you leave. You don't get to dictate their response to your God-sized action, no matter how great or how small. You don't get to dictate it. The only thing you can do is do the internal working of legacy, of what story do I want to tell You can work that out with God, and then you can begin to walk it out with him. That's it. This legacy question is wildly self-focused. I did not say selfish. I'm not saying self-absorbed. I'm not saying self-indulged. I'm saying self-focused. 
focused. And in any self-focused direction, there are ba three basic or three primary entities that you, we've got to look at. The three primary entities of a self-focused life are you, God, and a couple trusted people. And he's trusted people, even you have to, you have to, to pick. They're so, it's so diligently and it's so careful. And you have to know that they are for you and they're supporters of you. And we'll talk about more of that in a second. Self-focus is the internal perspective you must build into the tapestry of your life in order to accurately write the story you want to tell, the story God has for you. And I want to help develop our self-legacy question. I'm going to rattle through four quick steps. And again, before I get into it, this is homework. This is an exciting message, right? This is a homework message. This ain't like a bunch of fluff and then it's like, oh, I feel so good. No, this is like, for those of you who want this, for those of you who are like, man, this question is polarizing for me, it's different, it's different for me. Maybe some of you are like, oh, I'm too old to think about this. No, if, as long as you're still on earth, you're still writing a legacy. You still get to choose today. Maybe some of you are too young, like, I don't even know what this means. This is the moment to start. This is the moment to start doing the homework, to start doing the hard work, and to start building a foundation. Start doing the work to develop your legacy, but just know it won't be done in the next 20 minutes or in the next 15 minutes of this service. This will be homework that you take with you, and it is work that you will be happy you did. You owe it to yourself to do the work, and if you do the work, it will help promote the whole elements of your life. You won't be chasing around on non-foundational ground. You won't be trying to chase the whims of society or the whims of what humanity might be saying around you. You'll be able to be so much more resolute, so much more steadfast. And number one is that. The four steps to develop your legacy. The first step is know your legacy. What is it? That's pretty simple. This is work to do it. Pretty simple to put it on, know your legacy. What is it? Have you asked yourself the question? Have you written it down? What story do you want to tell? What story do you, does God have for you? What story do you want to tell to your kids, to your grandkids? Paul knew the story that he was supposed to tell. That's why he wasn't shaken, and it's why he was able to work through the storms in his life. In Acts, again, this is previous to the shipwreck. You can throw it up. Acts chapter 20, verse 22, it says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, listen to what Paul says. This is wild to me. Because if I got this legacy, if most of us got this legacy, we'd be like, thanks, God, I'm out. I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Already we're like, swerve. It gets worse. I only know. This is all that God does. I know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. <laughs> right? But so many of us with prison and hardships, we don't know. We don't know that prison and hardships are coming. So when it comes, it rattles us to our core. And other people will start to point. The external voices will start to point. You must be doing something wrong, Linda. You must be. Listen, Linda, you're doing it wrong. Because prison and hardships aren't supposed to come. This is all about prosperity and blessing here in Jesus' name. It's not accurate. It's not biblical. And it might not be the story of your life. While next to you, neighbor B over here is living in blessing and prosperity. And you're like, you're doing it wrong. And he's like, no, I'm not. Maybe. 
But he's going, no, I'm not. I got with God and God said he, he was gonna give me a lot of blessing and prosperity and I was supposed to use it to help fund orphanages and, and help people over here and I've helped build, build, build uh, church buildings and plant churches across America. Why? Because I knew that God told me he spoke ble blessing and prosperity over me. I'm sorry, you got, you got what you got, but we can team up. We can still be on the same mission. We can still be about the same business, but it could look wildly different. But if you don't know it, you're gonna be rattled both with your own internal voice and definitely by external voices. Number one, know your legacy. If you know it, you do not have to chase the whims of humanity, whether hardship or blessing. Number two, share your legacy and share it with just a couple trusted sources. You gotta share it with just a couple trusted sources and even then you have to know that they might not react the best right away. For instance, Acts chapter 21. This, I love this, this is from Paul too, right? This is all pre-shipwreck. It's only fun for me, okay. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Great. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt. He tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When he heard this, when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. These are his closest friends. This is his inner circle. He's told them, he's, they've just been revealed what's gonna happen. And they're like, don't do it. Don't do what? Don't do what God's telling you to do. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to, to, to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now stop, they're still pushing back. No, we know you're saying that. We know it's gonna happen. That's why we're sad. That's why we're pleading. Please don't go. Don't do what God's asking you to do. Check this next verse out. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and then said, the Lord's will be done. Paul's friends urged him not to go. Peter stood in front of Jesus, urged him not to go. Joseph actually shared his legacy with his brothers. And by the way, it was such the wrong group of people, they threw him in a pit and then sold him off to slavery. You have to be so careful and diligent with when and how you share your legacy. And you need to be ready for the fact you need to know that you know that you know that you know that you know what it is so that in the moment when even the closest and most inner circle of people begin to come and, and talk back to you and to try to dissuade you that you can stand your ground firmly and go, I know that I know that I know what God spoke to me. I wrote it down. I know it. I know the story I want to tell. I'm sharing it with you and I will not be dissuaded. That's north and that's right. I'm going. That's where you have to be. And only then, then some of those inner circle people will start to go, okay, fine. Now that we know that you're moving north, I'm with you. The Lord's will be done. Let me help mourn with you. Let me encourage you. Let me celebrate with you. Let me go with you. Let's go. That's it. Know your legacy. Share your legacy. Number three, build your legacy. Build your legacy. There's so much. We could do a whole series just on building your legacy. It's so big. It's so expensive. But let me just tell you where it starts. It just starts with pouring foundation. That's it. You pour the foundation. Every good framework starts with a solid foundation. But let me just tell you something about cement. I was 19 on a construction site. We were behind schedule. My boss is like, we get to the work that day. He's like, whatever you brought for lunch, you better hope it's good because we're watching cement dry today. 
We were behind schedule. He decides to, to pour the cement, and then we literally sat at lunchtime and watched the cement dry because as soon as that quick drying cement was done drying, we were starting the framework as soon as it was done. Let me just tell you what I learned that day. It was boring. It was mundane. It was tedious. It was horrible, but it was necessary to the framework of the house. There is no quick drying cement for your legacy to be poured into. You, it, it will be at times. I'm talking to you about the homework. And some of you, the moment I said homework, you already opted out. Well, good, uh, should I say it that way? Good luck having a legacy. I said it. You're not gonna have one then, or at least not the one you wanna tell until you do the work, until you pour the foundation. And it will be boring, and it will be mundane, it will be tedious at times, but it's the only time that you can start to actually build the framework off of the foundation that you pour. Build your legacy and build it over time. So you have to know your legacy, you have to share your legacy, you have to build your legacy, and then finally, fourth, you need to be able to revise your legacy. Revise it, it's okay. Now here's what I'm not saying. You want me to revise the foundation? No. Well, it depends on the foundation. I'd say that. But if your foundation's good, no. Here's what we're revising. Every home has a foundation. Most of those foundations last for a lifetime. They last for a generation. It's good. That foundation's good. But then once you start doing the framework, there's always an addition that can be added on. There's a remodeling of the internal working of the house. Throughout COVID, we got this new expression. I don't know if you picked up on it, but a lot of leaders started coming out and they said, they would say this statement, with new information comes new decisions. Let me just encourage you. You're getting new information every single, of your, every single day of your life. You are. Both in the experience of your every day, you have another 24 hours of information that you just soaked in. Also, we live in the information age, and more information is coming into our pockets. Not actually our pockets. Our phone is in our pocket. <laughs> You're welcome. People are like, wait, what? Information. <laughs> There's more information coming into our phones than ever before. And with new information, it's okay to go, oh, there's a little revision we're gonna make over here. There's a remodel we're gonna do over here. It's okay that the house is remodeled. But with new information and your foundation intact, you are allowed and free to make new decisions based off of those terms. In fact, no matter how deep the religion, no matter how deep the tradition, no matter how deep the social norm, MLK Jr. walked into, for instance, MLK Jr. walked into a lot of deep, deep traditions attapped, attached to deep religious strongholds and quite frankly, disgusting social norms. And he knew the legacy he was trying to leave. He shared the legacy he was trying to leave. He built the legacy he was trying to leave. And he revised it a bunch of times if you study his life. A bunch of revisions. So did Paul, so did Lincoln, so did Mother Teresa, and so did George Washington. Even in his last days of presidency, the people wanted to make him king, which would have ruined the whole mission of what they were attempting to build. At the very least, they wanted him to run again and again and again. There were no term limits. Even his closest political supporter in Hamilton was urging him to keep running a race he knew he was done running, a legacy he was done and ready to leave behind. Had he been listening to outside voices, he would have made completely different decisions, but because he was resolute and steadfast within his own decision between him and God, he was able to move forward and do what he knew and felt was right. In fact, this next scene of the Broadway musical Hamilton, it comes in as Washington is describing to Hamilton that he's going to make the wildly unpopular decision to resign. 
And although Hamilton pushes back hard, Washington is not dissuaded. He stays steadfast and resolute in what he chooses that his personal legacy will be. One last time Relax, have a drink with me One last time Take like a break tonight And then we'll teach them how to say goodbye To say goodbye You and I No, sir, why? I want to talk about neutrality Sir, with Britain and France on the verge of war Is this the best time? I want to warn against partisan fighting but Pick up your pen, keep writing I want to talk about what I've learned And all the wisdom that I've earned As far as the people are concerned You have to serve You could continue to serve no, one last time The people will hear from me One last time And if we get this right We're gonna teach them how to say goodbye Mr. President, they will say you're weak. No, they will see we are strong. Your position is so unique. So I'll use it to move them along. Why do you have to say goodbye? If I say goodbye, the people will learn to move on. It'll outlive me when I'm gone. As the scripture says, everyone will sit under their own vine and fig tree. And no one can make them afraid. They'll be safe in this nation we've made. I want to sit under my own vine and fig tree, a moment alone in the shade, a moment at home that we've made one last time. I'll end with this. Imagine if Washington had allowed them to make him king like they wanted. The story they wanted to write for him. The story they wanted to write for us. But Washington knew the story he wanted to write. And with conviction and before God, his farewell speech read like this. Though in reviewing the incidents of my administration, I am unconscious of intentional error. I am nevertheless too sensible of my defects not to think it probable that I may have committed many errors. I shall also carry with me the hope that my country will view them with indulgence and that after 45 years of my life dedicated to its service with an upright zeal, the faults of incompetent abilities will be consigned to obli oblivion as I myself must, be, must soon be to the mansions of rest. One last time. See, history does have its eyes on you. And that's the legacy piece to it. But your legacy, your internal legacy is written between you and God, full stop. There is no external voice that gets to come into that situation. That's only a resolute and steadfast, unwilling to yield, unwilling to be dissuaded, unwilling to lose sight of the story you and God are telling with the details and the inner workings of your life. I don't have time to tell the full story, but my dad,
pastored a church about 25 year, for, for 25 years. He retires in three months. It's the church I'm going to take. Take. I don't like that word. It's the church I'm going to lead. Thank you. He took a church of about 40 people, 40 hateful people in a small town. And they were hateful. In fact, the, when my dad first got there, there were people in the town that told him, I want, I, we, we we're praying and hoping that that church burns down. That's how much of a history of hate the church had left for about 100 years. My dad knew that the legacy that God was calling him to write was a legacy of love. In fact, one Sunday morning, he brought a stake and a hammer into that place. And he brought that stake and that hammer, and he began to stake, fake stake into the ground. And he said, this, we have built our foundation on stakes of hate, and we've built it on the grounds of hate. But from here on out, the, the foundation we will be pouring is on the grounds of love from here on out. Immediately, you have board members coming up to him after the service telling him who they could love and who they couldn't based on what they've done. In fact, the next board meeting, they got in front of him and they were like, hey, listen, there's people that are starting to come back because of this love thing that we're doing, and we don't really, uh, we don't really love them. In fact, they need, if they're going to come back, they need to stand in front of the church. We know what they've done. We know what they've said about us. And so until they're willing to stand in front of the church and tell and, and, and apologize to the whole church, then they shouldn't be allowed here. So my dad answered back. He's like, well, have you said hateful things about them? They said, well, yeah. He said, well, then you first. And then he said, and also who wants to volunteer to stand at the door then and dictate who gets to come in and who doesn't based on what they've said or done in the past? Oh, no volunteers? Shut the conversation down. What am I saying? He knew the legacy of love, uh, that, that there is a loving heavenly father that wants to communicate, that wants to connect with each life on earth. That's the legacy he knew that he was supposed to leave. And he started sharing it with people. And he, initially when he shared it, it was staunch. It was, it was people coming at him. It was people that hated him for it, but he kept moving for it. And I watched him do it. And then I watched him build it. And I watched him work it. And I watched him till that ground. And for 10 years, I watched as that church turned from 40 hateful people to a thousand people. And many of them coming looking for a love loving, good, heavenly father, many of them coming saying, if that's the type of God, then that's who I want. That's, that's who I want to be over my life and run my life. And I watch a church grow from 40 hateful people to a thousand people based on the foundation of love. And I watched my parents who we were raised in heavy, staunch legalism. Legalism like drums were evil, TV was evil, internet was evil, everything good was evil in our house. But they had this foundation that God was a good, loving, heavenly father. And as that foundation stayed intact, but the whole house began to be remodeled around it. Wait a second. As we found something that was more hateful and not loving, it would be revised. It would be shifted. It would be changed. And up until I was about 13 or 14 years old, I had hate in my heart for God. I had this thing in my heart for God that was like, I kind of like you, but I don't really like you. And I'm not really sure what you're all about, but there's all these rules and all these issues and everything that's fun and nice in life you hate. So I don't even know what this is. And in my heart of hearts, I was like, the day I turn 18, I'm out of here. But as my parents left a better legacy, as my parents were willing to revise their legacy, still on the foundation of a good heavenly father, it didn't just impact a thousand empty strangers. It impacted their son. It allowed me to still have a relationship with Jesus. And now he's going to carry, now he's going to hand the baton to me. It will be a responsibility, and it will be one of the greatest joys in my life. 
because I had a dad on earth and I have a heavenly father that's helping me understand what the legacy is, to know it, to go share it with others, to build it over time and to revise it as needed. And that's my encouragement to you is that you take the time to do the homework, to know it, share it, build it, and revise it as needed. God, I thank you. I thank you for everything you continue to do in our lives. I thank you for the many stories that you're continuing to write. I pray that you continue to work on our hearts. I pray that if there are people in here that have never invited you into the story of their life, that tonight would be a night right now. If they're watching online, that it would be a moment right now that they would invite you into writing the story of their life. I pray that there would be many legacies that would be beautifully built and all be done in the framework of you, them, and a few other trusted people. And I pray for that in Jesus' name. Everybody said yes. Amen. Everybody said amen.